Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we are doing with six minutes to go in the Laker Warriors game two, because we love our colleague at ESPN, Tristan Thompson, but when he came in the game, we thought it was a sign we could begin the podcast. Joining me, this is an all New York City pod right now, We're all in New York City. Joining me from, um, how many blocks away are you, Bontemps? About 100? About five miles away on the Upper West Side. All right, I'm in downtown. And look, we had to make a call tonight. Bontemps and I worked last night at the at the Celtics uh, uh, Sixers game too. No, 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 no. Here's here's the deal. Here's the deal. <laughs> he, he interrupted me already. You haven't even announced who. You were 14 said. seconds in. Yeah. And Timmy B has already decreed that he's well, jumping in the. Well, listen, Brian. Brian was going to try to go into. Listen, Pally. Listen. That's right. First of all, there's the laugh track. Our buddy Nick Ferdell, because Brian needs his beauty sleep. And couldn't wait for Ben McMahon, who had flight issues. So he had to call into the bullpen. And here's the yeah. laugh track, giggling. This Look, is the I'm second t- time the laugh track has been rolling this week. <laughs> the first time it didn't go so well. That's the second time it's really rolling. <laughs> well, all I'm going to say is that Bontemps and I worked the game last night. We, we left the arena after midnight. We took the 6 a.m. shuttle flight to New York to work in the studios today in New York. And tomorrow we both got to go to Philadelphia and I got to be on get up, which the first production calls at 6 a.m. So when Bontem or so when McMahon's flight got canceled and he wasn't going to land until 3 a.m., we made a command decision that one 4 a.m. Eastern podcast this week was enough. So this is why we got our man, Nick Friedel in here. Got the laugh track. We're here to, here uh, here to giggle. Covering the other series, the, uh, uh, Heat Knicks, and he'll be headed down to Miami tomorrow for game three uh, on Saturday. Um, but first, let's talk about this one. Uh, not what we were all hoping for after that terrific game one. Uh, the Lakers got an early lead. Uh, more, you know, strangely, um, if I had told you before the game, Bon Temps, that, you know, Kevon Looney was going to be um, compromised in some way, he's ill, he still played a little bit, would you have guessed they would have started your Michael Green? That's what Steve Kerr did. That surprised me. Um, it looked like it could be a, could have been a strategy decision because um, when the Warriors played small at the end of game one, um, they had difficulty rebounding and keeping the Lakers off the line, but they did play better. So it looked like it could have been a strategy decision, but Looney was apparently sick. I was very surprised with it, but it worked out really well. They're going to win this game because Clay Thompson went off and their three-point shooting worked with Steph playing out of more pick and roll. But um, Jermichael Green, what a, what a move by Steve Kerr. I guess. I mean, I didn't I wasn't a big fan of Michael Green starting either. I mean, look, the Warriors won this game because it's the 16th straight time that a team lost game one at home and won game two, including Tuesday when our guy Fredell was it at the Garden um, for the Knicks winning game two against the Heat, including last night in Boston where the Celtics rolled the Sixers in game two. It's just very hard when you're especially you're in the conference semifinals. You generally got good teams playing against each other, but team loses game one at home. They know the series is over, basically, if they lose that game two at home. And so they're going to come out with a desperation that's just hard to match. And that's really what happened in this game. I mean, you can, we can go through strategy stuff. I mean, AD, again, was dreadful as the yo-yo with Anthony Davis continues from game to game. But... Ultimately, the Lakers got what they needed. They got the win in game one. And like the Sixers 
last night, they can walk out of San Francisco saying, hey, we got a split. We're going back to L.A., a place that, for whatever reason, the Warriors have never played well, even though the Warriors, even when the Lakers have been bad. And if they could get two wins there at home, they're going to be in command position in the series. Yeah, Friedel, I actually, look, I, I want to compliment the Warriors on the comeback. I don't want to take my focus off of that. We know that if the if the Warriors, who you used to cover, you know these guys really well. We know that if the Warriors shoot really, really well, they're going to win the games in this series. That's not breaking news. The Lakers leave 1-1. LeBron only had to play 28 minutes. He almost got thrown out of the game. In, uh, in He had a, a quarrel going on with Tony Brothers, which ended up being the most interesting thing in the second half, I think, uh, the referee. And I think it's, you know, he shot the ball well from 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 the field hit some threes which he hadn't hit in the entire postseason ad didn't play well but only played 33 minutes i think if you're a laker fan it's not the worst situation in the world i just want our boy mcten to have the pool report exchange with tony brothers let's <laughs> see how that goes uh for for that explanation but it'll be no i mean this is exactly what the lakers uh, could have hoped for they they get the win they go back the thing that worried me for the Lakers coming into game two is guys we saw those stories oh they extended LeBron and AD they played them so many minutes that's the concern if you're the Lakers in this series it's not that you can stand toe-to-toe with the Warriors it's we got some older guys we've got some guys who have become injury prone who have stayed on the floor to this point specifically with AD can they maintain the same level they had in game one when you are running around chasing Steph over the course of a seven-game series? It's why I still believe the Warriors will end up winning this series, and I feel confident that the depth they have on top of where Steph is at will shine through because the Lakers so desperately need LeBron and Davis to play the same way all the time if they're going to win. Yeah, I mean, look, AD's got to be the best player in the in the game for them to win. He was dominant in game one, and he was terrible in game two. And like, if he it now with this series, to your point, Nico, and every other day, let's see if he can have those kind of efforts every other day for two weeks because he's going to have to do that for them to win this series. Like, he's got to play in the way he did in game one, which, by the way, he put up numbers that only Wilt, Shaq, Shaq, Elgin Baylor, and I think Kareem have ever done with the Lakers. Like that was a, an immense performance. And it came down to the final possession, right? which, you know, right. which, and the Warriors were home. The Lakers will get an advantage for playing at home. You know, I think Darvin Ham had a really good game plan for Steph. I think one of the things that you hear about Steph is it's very hard to guard him because you never know where he's going to go. They don't have plays per se. They have a, they have like process. And so it's hard, just hard to guard him. And he relocates so well. And there's such good feel with him and Draymond and, and him and the other players. But they do know what his tendencies are, and they guarded against his tendencies off the ball. And Steph had trouble getting the ball, and so they put him on the ball tonight. And he had 12 assists in 30 minutes. And it's hard to guard him when he's at the top of the key in the pick and roll. Now it's more taxing on him, that's for sure. And the reason he had 12 assists tonight was partially because their offense was functional, and partially because Clay was unstoppable shooting the three. What was he? Um, eight of uh, eight of 11. I mean, Steph and uh, the Splash Brothers tonight, Steph and Clay, 11 of 16. Good God. Yeah, Clay's been, <laughs> Clay's been due for one of these and finally had it tonight. 
Right. So part of the reason he had the 12 assists was because the guys were hitting shots. I mean, Michael Green, as I mentioned, he had three threes. He had uh, 15. Um, just a tremendous performance by him. So I think the adjustments you see right there is plain as day. You know, they're going to have to defend Steph in the high pick and roll. That's going to bring Anthony Davis away from the basket. And, uh, you know, Jeff Van Gundy mentioned this in the game when Steve has had to, Steve Kerr has had to change his lineup due to various things, including suspensions. <laughs> he has tended to stick with that lineup. He doesn't automatically go back in the last series after Draymond was suspended and they won. He kept pulling the starting lineup. Eventually that well ran dry and he brought Draymond back for when they needed it. And, um, and it worked out. So I would expect, I would expect to see Drew Michael green, in the starting lineup again, you know, the game is still not over yet. We don't know what Steve said, but I expect to see Drew Michael green in the, uh, in the starting lineup uh, on game three in LA over the weekend Montemps. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of what Steve, I mean, I think Nick would agree. That's sort of what Steve's move is. He sticks with what works until they lose a game. That's basically what he did in the Sacramento series. He stuck with that lineup until they lost game six. And then he went back to his, his traditional lineup in game seven. I mean, we'll see if this was, you know, a loony illness thing or uh, a lineup adjustment thing, but you know, the other thing too, is the Lakers, you would expect to have a pretty significant free throw advantage in every game in the series. They currently have one less than the Warriors and didn't shoot a free throw till the very end of the first half. If Golden State can avoid fouling and sending them to the line, that's going to be a pretty significant yeah. swing LeBron in their took, favor. LeBron took no free throws. I, I don't know. I have to check with stats and info. The last time he had a no free throw playoff game, his free throws have been going down as he's gotten older. But you know, one of the things he does is he uh, attacks the okay, attacks the paint, and in in game one he was definitely attacking the paint. Especially he looked pretty transition. good. He looked pretty good today too. Yes, he definitely did. He definitely did. And you know, not only with the um, with the twenty three points, uh, but you know, he had seven rebounds in like you know not too many minutes. He so he, he looked to, good. to answer your question, there LeBron has had three games with no free throws ever in his playoff career. Game one of the Eastern Conference Finals in 2007. Game five of the first round series against the Suns a couple of years ago. And game three against the Spurs in 2013. All losses. And he's played 100 some odd playoff games. So he's played 100 and 273. <laughs> 173. B, this is a perfect segue because you have told me for 10 plus years at this point, longer than that, I'm never betting against LeBron. Right. In a playoff series, I've seen it too many times. LeBron will find a way. I'm not doing it unless. I'm not sure I thought he'd be still doing this at age 38 when I started saying that, but go on. Well, so, all right. So this, this leads perfectly into the question. As I watch this series, as I watch Steph, not only in Game 7 against the Kings, but over the course of the last couple of years, I feel like Steph Curry is playing the best basketball we have ever seen him play, which is saying something because he's been so good for so long. I am not betting against Steph Curry in this series. I think the reason why I still feel so strongly that the Warriors will find a way is because they have Steph Curry. Do you feel like that threshold has been crossed to the points that Timmy B just brought up about all the games and the lack of free throws and the times where we just haven't seen him play sometimes at the level that he has maintained for so long? Has that threshold been crossed where you say, hey, I'm not betting against Steph 
even in a series against LeBron James. Well, I didn't, I wouldn't have bet on LeBron in the 2018 finals. So, I mean, it just depends on the quality of the opponent. Um, That's called a cop out, cop out answer. I mean, no, I don't think LeBron can beat anybody under any circumstance. I would just say that if you're, if I'm going to make uh, an error, I'm going to make an error believing in LeBron more than I'm going to make an error and not believing in him. And I stand by that. What I suspect will happen in both this Warriors Lakers series and both and the and the Celtics um, Sixers series. I'm not so sure about the Knicks series because so much of it I think rides on Jimmy Butler. What I suspect is going to happen is that the home teams will win game three. That Friday night, Joel Embiid will get his MVP. The crowd will be crazy. I expect him to play better than he did in game two when he was knocking off the rust. And I expect them to just get a home win. And I expect the Lakers to win at home. And then game four will tell us what will happen in the series. The way Because game four is when every, all the chips will be down. And even though those series will potentially all be 2-2, uh, or obviously three, one, you have a huge edge game four will tell us that's my guess. Um, just having watched a lot of playoff series and there could be injuries. There could be a lot of factors to your point. When we have these series, like, you know, when the Sixers and the heat and the Lakers won these game ones, these even number games, when the team has a chance to go up two games in the series, that those are the best games. And especially that's the case in these game fours, right? Like if the home team wins, those game fours, if the Sixers win, if the Lakers win, if the Heat win, you go into game four in all those series and the road team has to win the game to get back home court advantage or they're down 3-1, right? We saw that with the Grizzlies in the first round. The Lakers and? come back and get that. No, the Lakers come back and get that win. It's a great game. Goes down and what to the other end. series? What other series did we see it in? Warriors. And, oh, Kings. with the Warriors. Right, Warriors Kings. Right, Warriors come yeah. back, right? Have the, the crazy ending. Th- those are the games and then same with game six, right? We saw Jimmy Butler last year. We saw Steph and the Warriors in the finals in Boston win that game four, you know, come back in the fourth quarter and win. Those are the games when you go back through time and look at it that are really the ones that swing series one way or the other. And that's where you really find out where it's going to go. So I, I agree. Sort of regardless of who wins, we're in a nice spot in all three of those series where whoever wins game three, we're going to have a 2-1 advantage going into game four. And that's probably my favorite game of any playoff series outside of a game seven because of just how big that game is. And and Nick, typically when we see game four, that's when we see the rotations get slashed. That's Mm -hmm. when we see the coaches start to grip real tight. (laughs) Is it possible for Tibbs to grip tighter than how he (laughs) grips on any other day that ends in Y? Tibbs is an outlier in this regard. <laughs> <laughs> oh, in so many ways. <laughs> uh, but, you know, Tibbs has got to, you know, look, Tibbs has got to go down there thinking if they come back 2-2, he likes his chances. You know, the Knicks, uh, the Knicks have been a good road team all year in that in that case. And um, we'll talk about that series in a second. But um, Anthony Davis may not have to go for 30-20. and 20. I mean, that was an extraordinary performance. But he is going to need probably four of those type of efforts where he's that involved. And he just didn't deliver it. He's got potentially five more chances to do it three more times. And if he does, I think the Lakers have a great chance. And, you know, look, if Steph and Clay shoot like this, the series will be over quick. But I, I, I don't think that you should react to this. I think say the same thing about the Celtics series. Just because the Celtics bombed 
the Sixers in game two does not mean that they've got it all figured out. And just because the Warriors bombed the Lakers tonight does not mean they have it all figured out. I, I, I am, I'm, I believe that we're going to have significant, you know, back and forth for the first few games of that series. Um, so let's talk about that series real quick. Bon temps. How do you think, um, Joel looked, it was a very interesting day, a day I've never experienced before in the NBA where a guy takes the MVP award has his MVP press conference, does his MVP little media tour on a game day. That's not normal. And does it in a road arena? Uh, That's not normal. It was kind of odd to be sitting in the Celtics media room with special Joel Embiid MVP signage up all around. It was just unusual. You know, like he has a shoot around and he comes in like you would talk beyond the shoot around like you know during the course of the season but this time his post shoot around interview is about winning the mvp <laughs> i mean it was a very unusual day and then he comes back uh, what did you think about the way joel looked because i think that's really one of the big factors in the game more hoop collective podcast after this guys it's all about confidence confidence knowing you'll be able to be ready to go when your partner is and confidence knowing you'll be able to go a few extra rounds when needed confidence is what you get with the chewables from bluechew.com blue chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as viagra and cialis but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost and now they also have vardafil mint flavored chewables with active ingredients in levitra and staxin Bluetooth tablets are performance enhancement for the bedroom and can help men gain extra confidence when it's time to perform. Bluetooth is an online prescription service, so no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. And it ships right to your door in a discreet package. The process is simple. Sign up at bluechew.com. Consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part? It's all done online. Blue Chew's licensed medical providers work with you to find the right ingredient and strength for your prescription. Don't like swallowing pills? No problems. Blue Chew's Sedenafil and Teletafil tablets are chewable. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA and they prepare to ship direct, so it's cheaper than a pharmacy. So if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, visit bluechew.com. And here's a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code HOOP at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com, promo code HOOP to receive your first month free. If only starting your fitness journey was as easy as starting this podcast. The truth is all the lift big, get big, and beach body ready in three weeks pressure stops most of us from even starting. And starting is what matters most. It's everything. Wherever you're beginning and wherever you want to be, Peloton encourages you to just start. With thousands of classes to get you moving and doing what you can, Even if that's just a 10-minute low-impact class, they have those two. And when you're ready, take it up a gear with a 30-minute live DJ ride. Start with Peloton and find instructors that will keep you motivated to stay on your fitness journey. Learn the basics and build from there. Remember, doing something is everything. Get started with a Peloton bike or Bike Plus rental at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. Terms apply. I thought physically he looked great. He, he, whenever he has to wear a brace or whenever he has to wear a mask, he's always fidgeting with it. He's famously ripped the mask off a couple of times. He's always grabbing at the brace. He only really grabbed at it one time in the second quarter. 
in the game. I thought physically he was moving around well. Doc Rivers said today before the Sixers did film that all of their their biometric tracking data showed him basically running at his normal speed in the game and kind of playing with the usual force that he plays with. So I thought from that standpoint, it was really encouraging. It was pretty obvious that the Sixers were a little out of sorts. They couldn't really get the ball to where they wanted it to. I think a lot of credit for that goes to Boston. They, their perimeter defense was far, far better in game two than it was in game one for all the reasons we talked about with the Warriors series. So they didn't really let Philly get into anything the whole game. And I think that impacted Joel. But I thought to get the big fella out there, to get him up and running up and down, to get his legs under him going into game three, to get the rust off in a game that for all the reasons, again, that we talked about with the Lakers Warriors series, the Sixers are probably going to lose barring some kind of crazy effort. I thought it made a lot of sense to get him back out there get the nerves out, get the MVP yeah, stuff I, done, there and was a, get there back was a, for game three. Yeah, not to interrupt you, but there was a, a significant pushback. And we we were doing TV today. Um, and like, you know, one of the questions in the production meetings was, you know, should it, shouldn't beat have played? And I got to tell you, like being around the Sixers, I don't think it was even a question. Like they absolutely. No, there, was, there was no question at all. When Joel was ready to play, he was going to play. And it being around him as much as I have been, I think it was 100% the right call to get him back out there. Cause he's a guy who plays himself into shape normally. And he sat out two weeks and you can't have him come back and do the things he does, you know, in game three, if it's one, one and have these issues and fall down two one in the series. Like if he is ready to go also, he's the MVP of the league. Like there was some, yeah. there were questions after the game about, well, you know, like, how are you going to readjust to playing with Joel Embiid? It's like Joel Embiid is the MVP of the league. Right. He's they the won reason why the Sixers are good. They right. won 54 games. He played 70 of them. I mean, like, that's why they were there. Like, Nick, if the, if the Sixers are going to win this series, and it would be an upset, okay? The Celtics have now beaten them four out of the six times they've played. If they're going to win this series and be an upset, it's going to be because of Joel Embiid. You know, it it's going to be. be, you know, uh, you know, just, and so that's just, I, I, I just don't, I don't agree with that thinking that they should, that they should have, you know, expected James Harden to put up another 40, 40 point game. Nick, well, you don't think James Harden could beat the uh, Celtics four times in a row? <laughs> don't, don't don't get the track started again. I, I I got that coming back at me enough on social media after James' unbelievable game one performance. But no, I. I By the way, you were right about that. The Sixers, I don't think, would say James Harden would I, win them four games in a row without Joel Embiid. So it, you know. the, the timing wasn't great on all that. But shout out to. So my what man, happened was what Max happened Kellerman. was Friedel yeah. was. Friedel was on Max Kellerman's show. This just in. Was it the day of the game, day of game one? And he and basically Kellerman was like, you know, Harden could have 40 tonight. And Nick was like, I do not believe that will happen. I think I summarized that for you, Nick. Yeah, and, well, B, he the, the the part that Max had me going on is he said Harden can turn into an offensive juggernaut and and carry the Sixers through uh, without Embiid. And I just I laughed a lot. Now, to Max's credit, at the end, he always has his Max fact. And he said, Harden's going to score 40 tonight and the Sixers are going to win it, which I chuckled at the end of the show, too. But the context of that conversation was, can Harden turn back the clock to a point where he's going to start dropping huge numbers again and carry the Sixers without Joel, of which I flatly don't believe. But what I would ask you guys, having lived that series the last few days, is, I came in, my thoughts about Harden aside, having watched what happened at the end of Houston, the end of Brooklyn, and what's happened throughout this season in Philly at times. 
I just thought the Celtics were so much better. The Sixers could get a game or two. Joel comes back, has a big performance. After two games, are you guys swayed at all in the idea that there is a legit path for the Sixers to win this series? I always thought there was a legit path for the Sixers to win the series. Um, and it's because the Celtics can't get out of their own way. The Celtics should right. the Celtics should win the championship, probably. If you just look at their team, they have the deepest team. They probably have the most talent. They've been to the finals before. They have every they can play every way in the modern NBA, right? They can have they can run out there with Al Horford and Robert Williams and play two bigs. They're going up against a team like the Lakers. If they're playing a smaller team, they play Golden State, say they can run out Marcus Smart, Derek White, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. They can they can run a track meet with anybody. They've got Malcolm Brogdon, who's a 50, 40, 90 guy basically coming off the bench. They're barely even playing Grant Williams, who's a really good three and D guy. Like they have the definition of an embarrassment of riches from a depth and talent standpoint. And yet the Celtics mess around all the time. They messed around in the Atlanta series. They messed around in the finals last year. They messed around. I mean, remember game, we both were at game seven of the conference finals. Yep. They messed around yep. there. Like they should win this series. They should roll through the conference finals. They will have home court advantage in the NBA finals. They probably should be favored to win the championship. I think they have the shortest odds right now to win the championship, but can the Celtics get out of their own way? And in game one, they could not, they didn't get up enough threes. They were lackadaisical throughout the game. They should have been up 20 after they the first quarter. just lost their focus in the fourth yeah, quarter offensively, that, which well, you wouldn't think would happen their, in a playoff game. But, but. They, they lost their focus. They lost that game in the first quarter because it was they were 17 for 20 in the first quarter. It was a layup line and a dunk line, and they were getting wide open shots. They, I've never seen a team score easier than the Celtics in that first quarter of game one, and they were up five or seven after the first quarter because they just let the Sixers – hang around and the game should have been over right then. And that that's just sort of an example of the way they are. So I think Boston, Boston should win the series, even at one, one, I think they've got more depth of talent. They match up well with the Sixers and B is coming back from this injury, but can they actually get it done three out of five times that I, I, I genuinely don't know if they'll have the focus to do it because they have not proven capable of doing that all the time. And the other, the other, the other question is, can Embiid just lift them? Can Embiid have a game where he takes one that they that they they wouldn't have won, or maybe even two? And now it's a Can big he have ask, the Harden but, game, really? Well, maybe what that's what it is. Did. Maybe that's what it is. I mean, you know, I think it's and you know, Joel is kind of he's he hedged he's hedged a little bit on this because he has made sure to point out to everybody that he should be out four to six weeks. And that, you know, he came back in two, but he like he and he gave his his uh, injury report, you know, this is a four to six week injury. So he is he has sort of laid the groundwork for the he knows exactly what he's doing all the time. Yes. And I wouldn't be surprised. if I wouldn't be surprised if he mentions the four to six week number again, just in case you miss it the first. I suspect it will be mentioned after every game, the rest of the playoffs, no matter how long they go. (laughs) He came out last night after the game and said, there's no excuses. But by the way, I was supposed to be out four to six weeks. Yes. That, um, that, those two answers will happen after every single game. Right. Okay. <laughs> so that's what Joel does. But Joel's also a brilliant player. And it's possible he has a performance or two that elevates them. That's what 
it's why he won the MVP because we saw well, him do it regularly. Well, and look, we, we, we haven't even talked about Denver and Phoenix yet. Right. But we spent the last couple of years talking about Joel Embiid and Nicole Jokic so much and whether you can win a championship with a true center in the modern NBA. And you know what? For both of those guys, it is sitting right there. Like Denver has to win this series with Phoenix. It will be a catastrophe at this point, frankly, if they do not. Chris Paul's hurt. They've got a 2-0 lead. They absolutely have to win that series as the number one seed. They're going to have home court advantage in the West Finals. Like, this is their chance. This is Jokic's chance to break through and win. And it's the same thing with Joel. I, I agree that they're underdogs in the series. At the same time, they've got home court advantage. He's getting the MVP on Friday night. He's back healthy. As he said, no excuses. I'm on the court. Like, to your point, Nick, can Joel Embiid lift these guys up? Can he have two or three monster games and get these guys through this series? Because if he does, they're going to be significant favorites to make the NBA Finals. And he's got a chance to do all the stuff that he's talked for years about wanting to do. So for both of those guys, it's the same question. Can they take advantage of this opportunity? Because both of them may not have a better one than they've got right now. All right. One other thing, Jason Tatum, he had 38, I think in game one, but he was not effective when they needed him to be in the fourth quarter. Jason Tatum is on the cusp of superstardom. Maybe people would already agree he's there, but if he's going to, if the, if it's going to be the, be the uh, Celtics doing this. And by the way, he's shown he can do this before. It's not like he hasn't shown it, but like, you know, they need him. And in game two, he laid an egg. He was one of seven. He got in foul trouble. Now he didn't play down the stretch because they opened up a big lead without him in the third quarter. Jason Tatum should be pretty pleased with the way last night went because had they been in trouble in that game, he'd have been on, he'd have been on the line because he was not delivering, but it is now incumbent on Tatum to deliver a game in Philly. And it doesn't have to be game three. It could be game four. And I've seen him do it before. Um, and you know, Jalen Brown um, has played re- pretty well in the couple of the games in the series. He's, they stopped letting him shoot for some reason, or he stopped shooting in game one after a great start, but it was a little was bit fantastic better fantastic in, in game two. So yeah, he was the best player on the floor in game two. So uh, it doesn't have to be Tatum, but I suspect that it's going to come down to something that Tatum can do. We all know he can do it. So that we are setting up to have a good weekend in Philadelphia, Bontemps and I going to games three and five. Okay, Nick, uh, talk, I want to talk about your series with, uh, with the, with the, Nixon and the heat. I feel like the, this series is going to be determined by the health of Julius Randall versus the health of Jimmy Butler, Butler out Randall in the score changed. I know that Brunson had a huge second half. You wrote a really good story about Brunson kind of having to give himself a pep talk because he was, he said he was feeling sorry for himself because of how he didn't play great in the first game and a half. Obviously. And, and like, by the way, being in New York right now, I'm, you know, running into all these people on the street and at LaGuardia and other places who just instantly want to talk about Knicks and the love of Jalen Brunson. Um, you know, Nick and I had dinner tonight. This guy came up at dinner and um, he was just want to talk about Jalen Brunson. B, come on now. You're, you're burying the lead of this whole story. Timmy B, we're sitting at dinner. We're in the middle of a conversation and this kid walks up and he's like, Ryan. Oh my gosh. I'm he, a, was like I'm, a, he was like a 30 year old. Well, okay. This 30 year old comes up, Brian, I'm, I'm a huge fan has not a clue who I am. Fine. I mean, that's happened everywhere I go with me. <laughs> sure. In, you in me many both. countries, in that's several right. countries. We're that's in right. Dublin last summer. These people are walking up. Brian, really Oh my gosh. Not a clue. Hey, that's cool. But the part, the part that really 
had me cracked up, if you can believe it, is this 30-year-old dude who was very kind. and He's clearly, probably like 24, and if he hears this, he's like, oh, my God, I look old. This dude is like, can I get a picture? Again, not a clue who I am, just hands me the phone. I'm like, here, random dude sitting at the table with Brian Windhorst, take this picture. <laughs> and I'm like, right, sure, well, anyway, absolutely. That so wasn't take the a point of the story. And it was, it was unbelievable because it was just like, Oh man, this is my guy. This is my guy. V. Well, Nick, Nick, next time someone asks you to take a picture of me, hold the phone up high. You don't you you don't take a, a shot coming up my nose. I feel height like I'm talking to Timmy B's wife Kelly right now. Well, she listen, kills me every time listen, I take height, a picture. Height and light, okay? Height and light. I know it. There you go. Okay. Well, we didn't have we didn't time. have great light, and we sure as heck didn't have height. Okay, that wasn't the point. The point is. I was I was still wearing. Got to take care of the. You got to take care of the star, Nick. That's really the. Uh, Got to take care of the star. I was still wearing. I'm an Instagram boyfriend at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I was still wearing my makeup from being in the studio, so luckily that was fine. So, but my point is, everybody's going goo goo gaga here about Jalen Brunson, and I get it. But I don't know, Nick, if this is going to come down to Brunson or if it's come down to to Jimmy and, and and Julius Randall's health. The difference to me early on in this series be compared to where the, the Knicks were throughout that time against Cleveland. Cleveland wilted in games three and four, and Timmy B was sitting right next to me. More than any team I've ever seen in a pressurized environment. That team walked into the garden. It was roaring. They needed to make shots late, especially in game four. It, it just didn't happen. They were not Miami. ready. They, right. They weren't ready. They're young. You know, they, we could go through the reasons, but they were completely shook by what happened in the garden. You know who was I, ready for game one? Miami. Miami yeah. was ready. Well, the, And there's the difference. Miami late in that game never wavered at all. Jimmy rolls his ankle. He hangs in there because, of course, the Knicks didn't do a good job at all going at him. He could barely move, but he was out there. But they've got guys, Kyle Lowry, Bam Adebayo, the list goes on and on with Spolstra, knowing how to handle everything that was coming at them. So right away, that's the difference is the Knicks can't just go, oh, well, this team, they're they're young and they're weak. Let's just push them over. But as far as the rest of the series goes, the other thing to add in B is Brunson's ankles giving him trouble too. I don't think right. there's any question at all that he will be out there. He will find a way. Randall said he's it. also dealing with a thumb thing he's been dealing with for a while. Th- that's been messed up and, and his hand, but Randall said it after Thursday's practice. When he was talking about being ready for game two, he said, there was no way I was missing that game. I am sure Brunson feels the exact same way. The issue to me is who is going to be able to create more offensively late. If Jimmy comes back, okay. But if Jimmy can't be Jimmy Butler late in those games, there's not too many other places for Miami to turn. The Knicks have Brunson. They have Randall. Hart has hit some big shots for them uh, coming down the stretch in some of these moments. And R.J. Barrett, at least in that last series, has the feel of being okay to, to create and make some shots of his own. But uh, it was a rock fight in game two. And to me, if Jimmy comes back and he looks like Jimmy Butler, 
that confidence will be able to carry a Heat team that coming into this series, I wasn't sure if they had enough to begin with. Eric Spolstra is one of his favorite things to say is we have enough. You know, last year during yeah, somebody the- else says that too. His name's Tom Thibodeau. Well, we have they more learned- than enough. <laughs> right. Well, they learned from the same guy, did they not? Absolutely. Uh, he's the godfather. Um, so the th- I remember last year in the conference finals, Jimmy Butler was awesome, and then he tweaked his knee or hurt his knee. And then he came, he played in games four and five, but he just wasn't himself. And it kind of looked like curtains. And then he came out in game six with one of the great playoff games I've ever seen. Now, I have seen many, many ankle injuries. That did not look like a one-game ankle injury to me. Having said that, I would not be surprised at all if Jimmy plays. The question is, we know he's he's probably going to try to play through it. Will he be effective? I mean, the longer the series goes, probably the better he's going to get. Uh, I also, without putting anything past him, he could come back uh, on Saturday and he could score 35. Um, I wouldn't expect it, but I wouldn't put it past him. So um, again, I'm, I feel like the Heat will probably get game three. Actually, I don't know if I can say that because I don't know about Jimmy. So I, I don't feel as good about that. But I think if you come out of there 2-2, I think the Knicks will will, will be in okay stead. But, 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 but Jimmy's health is important. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click Ranger.com or just stop by. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. All right. Before we go, I wanted to talk about the kind of the big transaction happened in the NBA today. Mike Budenholzer uh, being let go by the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, not often that you see the team with the best record season record fire their coach, but it has happened before. I've seen it. Uh, I remember Mike Brown being fired uh, when he had the number one overall seed in 2010 when the Cavs were upset in the second round. Not often the one seed with the best record in the league loses to an A seed in the first round either. It's happened a handful of times. The tactical stuff that, that Bud did in that series was hard to get past. And as you've talked about before, Bond Temps, Bud is Bud. And while they've maybe updated the app a few times, Bud is pretty much Bud. They did alter their three-point defensive strategy mildly this year, and it did serve them well. but if you don't like the way Bud is going to operate, then you're probably going to have to move on from him because he's not really going to change. And the tactics didn't work. And the Bucks have a very challenging summer coming up in front of the Bud Temps. Yeah. I mean, look, when you lose like the Bucks lost in the first round, there's going to be at least one fall person and there might be more. And Mike Budenholzer is a guy who, I mean, let's be honest, if the Bucks had lost to the Nets a couple of years ago, Kevin Durant's foot was a few inches farther back, or if they just lose an overtime in that game seven in the second round, he would have been fired then. 
Like he wasn't going to make it to the next season at that point, if he didn't win that series. So, you know, it's, it's obviously he went on to win that championship and did a great job getting the bucks over the line that year. But this is not a guy who, you know, has been, you know, fully comfortable in this job for a while. And again, the way that series went, there was going to be some fall people. And now you look at a summer ahead for the Bucks, where, like you said, you have, as you've talked about a couple of different times, you've got the, the looming uh, situation of Giannis Antetokounmpo having a, the ability to extend his contract in September. And is he going to be interested in doing that? You have Chris Middleton with the player option on his contract. What is he going to do? You have Brooke Lopez heading into unrestricted free agency. What is he going to do? You have Drew Holiday, who has one year left on his deal before he can be a free agent. He can extend, I think, in February. What is he going to do? And then they've got Jay Crowder, Joe Ingles, Wesley Matthews, all his free agents. What are they going to do with them? So they have a ton of questions to answer, and they're staring at this uh, looming you know, tax situation with the new CBA. The second apron is going to be an issue. Like they, they have a very, very complicated road ahead. And now part of it is going to be deciding who's going to be the coach of the team. Well, the problem is there's a chicken and egg thing here. So first off, you're going to have to probably decide on the coach and the coach, the quality of coach that you're going to get. You obviously it's a crucial point, but what is the, is a coach willing to, is a high level coach willing to come there if there's uncertainty about Giannis? Okay. So you have the coaching decision. And then you have the decision on Lopez and Chris Middleton because Giannis can't extend until September. Like no matter what, even if they had gone to the finals and they had won four row by 20 points each game. Even if if he wants to, even if he wants to extend, he can't extend until then because of the right. So like, so it'd be ideally you want to know what's going on with Giannis. And then they let that inform your arrest, your decisions. And I mean, Giannis may give them some indication, but why would he? You know, well, and um, as we've talked about before, go back to when he signed the Supermax. He signed the Supermax after they traded for Drew Holiday. So there right. was a chicken and egg thing there, too. They knew if they got Drew Holiday, he would stay. They got Drew Holiday and he stayed. Right. So I, it's going to be hard for the team without having the greatest feel for Giannis's decision to then make these other huge decisions, which if you sign two guys in their 30s to, to medium to long term contracts and then you don't get the extension from Giannis, you put yourself in, in real real jeopardy, especially because of the way the new rules limit your team building. But let me just say this. When, he, when Kareem Abdul-Jabbar asked to be traded from the Bucks in 1973, I think it was, this is a, a non it, it was a couple of years later. It was 75, but still, oh, 75. same difference. Okay. Same difference. Okay, they can get back for 45 years. Giannis is a non-renewable resource. So... This is what I remember having these conversations with in Cleveland about LeBron, you know, and it was not really comparable because LeBron was older, but like, yeah, the Cavs traded everything. And, you know, the one thing that helped grease the skids um, uh, out of LeBron out of Cleveland was the, was the trade where they took the draft pick for Kyrie instead of taking, you know, more ready players. And the, 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 the ready player that they got was Isaiah Thomas, who they quickly learned was injured. Um, career d- defining injury, unfortunately. And so, but, th- but they traded everything else and it still wasn't enough. And LeBron was still annoyed. So like, I would just say before 
people start making assumptions and before the Bucks are like, man, we can't give Brooke Lopez, blah, blah, blah. Just don't understand that if you don't exhaust every situation with Giannis, that you may regret it. Yeah, if you, if you, if you decide to do something, you may be in a better position to rebuild someday in the short term, but you're not going to probably get another player like that back. So I would do everything I possibly could to keep him there, Nick. Um, and we have a new owner with the Bucks, and we also have a governor change. When the new owner, when Jimmy Haslam bought out Mark Lazary, the governorship, the guy who made the, the prime decision-making shifted to, to Wes Edens, who was their previous uh, governor. Um, and so I think it's a little bit, I don't think we should make assumptions about what the Bucks are going to do. I've talked to Giannis about this several times over the years, and he has said repeatedly that all he wants is to be one of those guys who plays with the same team forever. The Stephs, the Dirks, Jerry West, Reggie Miller, Toby. He wants that. But that was a few years ago. Do we think that Giannis is at a point now in his own career where he says, you know, I just don't think the future is as bright in Milwaukee. There's this coaching change. We don't know who's going to land in there. That it's a legitimate possibility now for the Bucks to consider, and this speaks to exactly your point, B, that they could exhaust everything possible, but there's still a chance that he ends up walking away from the only team he's known. Yeah, I don't want to get too far ahead of them of ourselves. I just think there's thunderclouds on the horizon, and we but that, just yeah, it ties into everything, though. I mean that yeah. that question, as is always the case with a a superstar of Giannis's caliber, hangs over every single and, decision. And, and now I also moving just forward. I also just want to say with the with the player movement that happens and the various rules, it's hard to keep a team together for six to ten years like it was before. And now it's you become know. that much harder with these new rules. These new rules are designed to break teams up. That's yeah, like what they're the, designed to the, do. The thing, yeah, the thing about the new rules, this quote, so called second apron, which the Bucks are going to be headed for. Um, if you have that second apron, it just it buries you. It it you can't sign anybody, you can't really trade for anybody. Your draft picks are automatically kicked to the back of the first round. Like it is a target on the Clippers, Lakers, and at least the Nets when they started negotiating it. The Nets have since broken down, but like it is an absolute target to, to you know to keep these teams from being able to maneuver. And that's what the Bucks are potentially facing here: is they are facing the fallout of like the Warriors winning the title and the, and the Nets and the Clippers paying so much money in luxury tax. Um, so I, I still think it's an, it's a very attractive job because why wouldn't you want to coach Giannis? You know, you're going to walk in and have a chance to, to coach a playoff team or to coach a championship contender. But I do think it's a question that if you're, if you're a high profile coach, I'm not going to throw any names cause I don't want to be, but if you're a high profile coach is either available or could become available. Um, these are questions you're going to have. Well, your first two so, questions are. What are you doing with Chris Middleton and what are you doing with Brooke Lopez? Those are your, if you're, if you're interviewing with Milwaukee, those are the first two questions you have. Are you guys going to keep Brooke Lopez? Are you going to keep Chris Middleton? How are you going to build out the rest of the roster? Are you going to go over the second apron? Are like these, 
these are questions that they need to answer because the answer to any of those questions is no, but we're not sure. Like that, that's not an answer I'm going to want to hear if I'm a coach looking at that job. But you think that's going to stop some coach from saying, "Hey, I, I still want to coach Giannis and try to." I'm win not. I title. don't know what's. I don't know what's going to go through the mind of anybody interviewing for that job. I'm just saying. To me, if I'm walking in there, if I'm any coach and I'm walking in to that job right now, and I sit down with Wes Edens and Jimmy Haslam and John Horse, the general manager, the first questions I'm asking are, "What are you doing with Chris Middleton?" and "What are you doing with Brooke Lopez?" Because to me, that informs what direction the team is going in. Because if you're paying those guys, you're trying to keep them, then you're trying to run it back with the team that was the best team in the league this year that had a very bizarre first-round series. Miami hit a trillion threes. Giannis was hurt. A couple fluke uh, collapses in the fourth quarter. Like you could, you could very easily walk in that job and say, hey, I'm a favorite to win the title next year if I'm coaching this team and I have this team back. But – Am I going to have this Is this team, team back? coming back? Yeah, right. That's, right. that's, that's the question. If you, yeah. if you could say to a coach, you're going to have basically that starting group and some depth pieces back next year. I think a ton of people are interested in that job. If it's like, well, we don't know what we're going to do. We have to figure it out. We're not sure how it's going to look. Then that's a lot different. So, you know, we'll see what happens. All right. You mentioned earlier, before we go, actually, Bon Temps, you mentioned, earlier about the Suns Nuggets. Um, Suns down 2-0, Nuggets up 2-0. Um, Chris Paul almost certainly going to be out Friday, probably also out Sunday for game four. Um, they just don't have much depth. You have, since they did the trade, you have been critical that you didn't think the Suns had enough. That certainly looks like the case the first two games. I'm not ready to go there yet. Certainly, I recognize Denver has become the complete driver's seat in this series, um, especially since they're so good at home and they've been so good in the clutch and they look good. This is the last few games are the best they've looked in a while. Um, I suspect you will see the ball more in Durant's hands. Um, One of the things that's happened with this team, they've had a lot of success initially with Durant, even though it was um, spread out and not and not really against top level op- opponents. I mean, even Kevin said that when when they finished off the Clippers um, in the last round, Kevin openly said, "Look, we haven't we've been lucky. We haven't played teams that are whole, uh, either in the regular season or the playoffs. And now they're playing a team that's whole and they're and they're suffering. But they haven't, you know, in my view, done a good enough job to feature Durant. They have basically featured Booker and made Durant the." floor space or secondary option. And the thing is it worked. They won a lot of games. They put up great offensive numbers and Booker was explosive. He was putting up, he had a absolutely jaw dropping first round series, basically because the Clippers were standing on Durant's toes and he just exploited it. I don't think if you're the Suns, you can go out with Durant being the floor spacer, especially if you don't have Chris Paul. I think the ball ends up more in Durant's hands. They've had three days of practice, knowing that they're probably not going to have, um, not going to have uh, Chris Paul for the weekend. I think you see if they're going to go down. I think you see the ball. I think you see Kevin more involved, um, Nick, and that's a guy that you saw in 2021 playing that role when Kyrie Irving uh, got hurt. That was extraordinarily effective. I know, almost beat the Bucks as we have talked about. And and he can do it. If ever there was a moment for the Kevin game to put this team back on track, this is it right now. It's got to happen. But this goes 
to what Timmy B has been telling the two of us since the moment that deal went down, B, which is Kevin's incredible. Booker is really, really good, but they just don't have enough behind those two guys. And as this series has opened up, it seems more obvious than ever. And people always love to jump on Kevin. Oh, KD can do more. But, you know, this is on Matt Ishbia. This is on the owner. If you want to be upset as a Suns fan at why this team potentially could go down in the second round to a really good Nuggets team, it's because he made the deal because he wanted to make a splash. And, guys, if I was in the same position, I would have made that deal too. I wanted Kevin Durant. Well, you know, Ishpia is going to spend a lot of tax money in the next year or two to to, to potentially build the team out. So I don't. But the second say it's just you get failure. Kevin, Tim Legler made this point the other day on on Max Kellerman's show. The second you get Kevin, the, the, your window is open, and you better do it now. Maybe it happens in another year, and they can and refill the roster with some better players, especially uh, bench wise, but. You get Kevin Durant, you got to win now. And you're on the verge, if you're Phoenix, of blowing one of these opportunities uh, that you made that deal for. So uh, it, there, there all, are always a lot of layers in team building. That front office just did not want to give up Mikhail Bridges. They did. The deal went down, but they just don't look like a team that is close to being complete enough to think that not only are they going to turn around this series, but over the summer, it'll, it'll get back to a point where we say, Hey, Phoenix can, can go all the way again. You know how many points have been scored by players not named Devin Booker, Kevin Durant, Chris Paul, and DeAndre Ayton for the Suns in this series through two games. I don't know the total number of points. Got a guess. I heard the number earlier today. So I'm going to re I'm going to refrain. 32, 32. There were six scored in game two. The reason I would say the Suns are not blowing this opportunity is because they just are not good enough. They don't have the horses to do it because, and this is why you don't see teams win when they make these trades in the middle of the season, because they don't have enough. And again, I will go back to everybody just dismiss the fact that this team played no one. And when Kevin Durant, A, barely played, and B, they played nobody the whole time he was there till the playoffs. Everyone said, well, they got Kevin Durant. It's going to be fine. They're going to be great. And they were in, they've been in close games in these playoffs, and it hasn't looked great. It's not because those guys aren't good. It's not because they can't figure it out. It's because they haven't been in any situations like this yet. And they're playing a Denver team. Like, look at fourth quarter of game two. Yes, Chris Paul got hurt, and it sucked to see him walk off again from a playoff game with an injury. That was brutal to see, though, with the number of minutes he was playing. Again, it's not exactly a shock he would get hurt. But the, the Denver Nuggets have a core group of players that have been together for hundreds of games now over several years and have been to the conference finals and have been in the playoffs and have played together. Jamal Murray and Nicole Jokic know where they are every second they're on the court, right? They're in a basically tie game in the fourth quarter with the Suns. They just run away from the Suns in the fourth quarter. It's not a coincidence. That that happened. It's not a coincidence that the Suns put that game away, even though Jamal Murray had an awful game, because they have been in those situations before more times than they can count, and they know where their guys are going to be, and they know exactly what they're doing. And the Suns just don't. You combine that with the fact that they don't have any depth, and now they don't have Chris Paul. Again, Devin Booker and Kevin Durant combined to score 59 points in game two 
on 56 shots. Like they can't take 56 shots every game for five games and win four of them, but they don't have a choice because they don't have anybody else who could score. So like, this is the conundrum that they're in. I, I just, I mean, maybe they can come back. Kevin is incredible. Him and Devin are great players. Obviously you shouldn't rule anybody out in the NBA playoffs as we've seen, but it's just very hard to me logically to construct an argument as to how they're going to win this series unless something crazy happens to Denver. Well, we will see. Um, I agree that the Nuggets are in driver's seat, but I don't think it's over yet. So we'll see. B, it's it's, I, it's I mostly because of Durant that I believe in. Go ahead. I want and and I agree with you on Kevin completely. Having watched it, he has that ability still within him. Yeah, to he's turn in, it he's all in, around. He's certain. He and he and Devin are both. I mean, Devin's been unbelievable in these playoffs. They they're both great. I, I I bring everything full circle in this regard. In listening to our conversation, it sounds like we all believe that Denver is now uh, not only in the driver's seat, but probably is going to finish off this series at some point. I think we all believe that Golden State still has the momentum to close no, no, that no, one No, out. no, 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 no. We oh, don't you're, all you're with the Lakers now? No, no, no. I didn't say me. I said we Top all don't. Ra- Top that, six that's roster. right. Mr. Top six rosters on the pod here, buddy. Mr. Top six roster. I okay. think uh, if, if you're going to get credit for being right about the Suns, I think you can give me credit for being calling the Lakers as being a formidable team. Um, I told you, I think the Lakers will go up two one, and then whoever wins game four will tell us a lot. So that's what's going to, that's what I'm going to wait and see what happens. I feel like, by I'm, the way, I'm first of all, a- we have a prediction from Brian Winhurst, which never happens, folks. He's predicted a Sixers win on Friday, and he's predicted a Lakers win on Saturday. Big, big day oh on my. the pod. I, we, I, have real, I am, we have real predictions. I'm in the middle of a fight between my oh, there's no fights. Two of my brothers. No, there's no, but, there's no fights. Brian, but listen, Brian has been Brian's been correct on the Lakers turning into a formidable team. There's no question. They're they're tied one one in the conference semifinals. But back to your point, Nick. The point still is. We're not feeling good about Phoenix on the whole. Denver looks great. All three of us, in theory, agree, okay, Golden State has maybe a, a slight edge still going into game three. And then you, I think we all agree Boston, if they can stop playing with their food, to use Doc's quote from the last round. <laughs> well, that wasn't exactly over. Doc's quote. They, they can roll over Philly. As we sit here right now going into game three in Miami, who are we leaning towards in – this Knicks Heat series. Because for me, with all the uncertainty around Jimmy and with the fact that there just aren't a lot of other options on that Heat team, as as rough as the Knicks have looked at times in the series, I would still take the Knicks right now to finish. Yeah. One to one to eight, the Knicks have a better team, but the the Heat's one is 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 more powerful if he's healthy. That's that's my opinion, and so we'll see what the Heat's one's got. He Timmy asked Von? you. He asked you to to lean one way or the other. What is your lean? I I, I got to see how Jimmy looks. Why is that I making me a bad again. person? Again, just just, just give your answer, Timmy Bond. I I went into the series thinking the Knicks would win a long series because I, for as great as Jimmy is and has been in these playoffs, the Knicks beat them three out of four times in the regular season. I like the matchup for them. You saw Julius get off in game two. It's a lot different than going up against Evan Mobley inside. And I think as long as the Knicks can hit some shots, one of the weird things in the playoffs has been Emmanuel quickly has been terrible for the Knicks. One of the most important players in the regular season. He has basically been a zero in the playoffs. You told me that was the case and the Knicks would be one, one in the second round. 
I'd have been pretty surprised. Um, so at some point it'd be nice for them if he gets going, but again, with the uncertainty around Jimmy, with the matchup advantages, I think the Knicks have overall, it's a slight lean for the Knicks, but I think we've learned over the past couple of years, you bet against Jimmy and you bet against Spo at your own peril. So That's it will true. be very interesting to see how that goes. All right, Nick, thanks for uh, pinch hitting for McMahon, who's probably sleeping on the plane right now and hope he gets in safe. Thank you to Bontemps. We're going to travel up and back to Philadelphia together, Friedel. I don't know how it's going to go. We'll see. There, I could get thrown out of the car on 95 no Sunday chance. afternoon. No chance. All right, thank you to Jackson, who didn't have to stay up this late. So thank you. And we will talk to you uh, on Monday. Who knows what will happen over the weekend. Enjoy it. Adios, amigos. <laughs> And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.